0: you're listening to garibaldi red a nottingham forest podcast brought to you by nottinghamshire live hello and welcome to our latest garibaldi red summer special my name is matt davis and i am like to be joined by the last manager to take nottingham forest back up to the premier league twenty twenty one 21 years ago now a long time ago but i like to be joined by dave bassett dave hello how are you very well good afternoon Um, Thanks for joining us. Are you a bit surprised by that stat, that a club of forest stature isn't in the Premier League since you took them there?
1: Yeah, I'm well aware of that uh, as we went up and they've never achieved it since. So, yeah, I was aware of it. It's a long time. Uh, I never thought that would be the case. But, uh, you know, these things happen in football. Times can change if you don't make the right decisions and the club's not run correctly and you don't get the right people employed in
0: it. You find yourself going backwards instead of going forwards. Um, we're here to talk about your Forest journey. I know you've had a lot of success at a lot of clubs. Talking of Forest, then, how did you end up at the club back in 1997?
1: Well, I was manager of Crystal Palace at the time. I'd been there just over a year, and uh, my accountant. Uh, was contacted by Irving Scholar, who was a client of the the business. And Irving uh, spoke to my accountant, Malcolm, and asked if he'd have a word with me uh, regarding my situation and whether I could be interested in being involved with Nottingham Forest. He realised I lived in Sheffield and I was down at Crystal Palace at that time. So my accountant did come and speak to me. Um, And I said, yes, I'd be happy to talk to them because my contract was only 18 months to run at Crystal Palace. And I'd spoken to Ron Nodes uh, about either increasing it and lengthening it if he wanted me to stay longer uh, to bring my family down. I wasn't prepared to bring them down uh, with 18 months left. So it was that situation. So um, in that time, Irving Scholar did speak to me uh, about it and I had a good chat to him. He was telling me what was going on at the club. And um, he sold the idea for me to come and help Stuart uh, Pearce and be uh, a director of football for that period of time till the end of the season when changes would be made in the summer so I was then fully aware of where the club was going and what they wanted um, and uh, at that time um, I spoke to Ron Nodes to say that I'd spoken to Irving, scholar and he was okay and, and I left them to chat and I told Ron as he wasn't prepared to extend my contract and, and the salary was less than what I'd been earning at Shefford United etc. Um, then Then I was prepared to to speak to Forrest and um, he didn't make enough attempts to to keep me in that terms. I think he felt that I wanted to go north. That wasn't necessarily the case. Um, So it led to me then really tying up with Irving and he paid the compensation to Ron Nodes that he required. And I went to Forrest in that June at that particular time and uh, worked with Stuart. But till the end of the season And uh, then obviously we were relegated At the end of that season And Irving then approached me to say That he wanted me to be the manager To get the club back to the um the top division because Stuart Pierce also wanted to continue playing and that was pointed out to me when he saw me in the first instance that Stuart's managerial credentials weren't exactly that of an experienced player and with my promotion successes etc uh, they wanted me to be instituted uh, in case the club got relegated which looked like a Distinct possibility when I joined the club and that ended up uh, with me coming. And Stuart was obviously wanting to carry on playing. He was part of the England team and everything else. So it was obvious and it was obvious probably Stuart wasn't going to stay at Nottingham Forest. He would want to play in the Premier League, which was understandable.
0: Um, What kind of club did you walk into then? Did it feel a bit doomed when you walked in in terms of relegation? You felt like you had a, a big job on your hands to pick them up?
1: Well, I wasn't running the team at
0: that stage. You know, I was
1: coming in. So I wasn't coming in to hijack Stuart out of the way at that time. I was there to support him and give any help on any coaching when he needed it. But basically, I was there to oversee and see about players and how we could strengthen the team. Um, Before the transfer deadline Which we did, we signed Pierre Van Hoyden at that time uh, In the hope that he might be able to score a few Goals because that was a problem Um, So yeah, I was there And uh, again To to assist Stuart, not to sit On his shoulder like a parrot telling him What to had to do, you know, he'd been around Football and uh, he wanted To continue that and uh, we conversed We got on okay and uh, as I Say I dovetailed him because I was more or less certain that that I was going to be manager the following
0: season come what may So you take over in the summer then um, what, what were your feelings about that squad, they had quite a good core of players, obviously Stuart was going to go were you quite comfortable with what you had and you just felt you had to, needed to add a couple more to bounce back? Yes, obviously
1: the, the the squad was a decent squad. It had been in the Premier League, they were experienced, and I was confident that there was enough good players there. It needed some infusion of players. I mean, Van Hoyden was uh, brought in, and um, I felt that... Uh, In the Premier League, he didn't do us any credit in that particular few months when he joined us because players have to settle in. But I felt that uh, he was going to be a decent player. Kevin Campbell, I loved uh, from Arsenal and knew, but Kevin had hardly played. He'd been injured. So I felt that with those two up front, we had a a firepower that was there. Of course, Steve Stone was there. Chris Bart, Williams, Ian Wan, Scott Gemmell, um, Steve Chettle, and Cooper and Mark Crossley, you know, were a good backbone to the side. So I felt that we needed to improve in one or two positions. Um, obviously, the left back situation was going to be a situation that needed looking at with Stuart going. I felt we needed more thrust in midfield, and uh, I'd I'd done scouting around, and as I say, during that time I'd. Followed Alan Rogers and had good reports So we made a move to get him in at left back Andy Johnson at Norwich had been watched uh, continually And was a robust all-action midfield player That uh, was available And we managed to get him as well And Jeff Thomas, I always knew, was a, a decent player Experienced, been around, done it Played for England, was a very, very good choice uh, on a free transfer. I knew that possibly injury wise, he might not be able to do all the games, but I certainly knew he, he would add something to the midfield area. So we, we managed to add one or two players like Thierry Bonnalea to give us cover at full back, left back, and right back as well. Um, so I was, you know, I was fairly confident with it. And buying John Helder from Norway, I was well aware of him because I was tracking him at Crystal Palace, uh, and uh, we were able to buy John to add to the centre-half cover. The only problem was that Mark Crossley got injured and, um, uh, with a back problem. We, signed, we had to sign Marco Pascolo, the Swiss international, but for some unknown reason, it didn't quite hit it off. And We signed Dave Besson you know, later on as the season went on early on in terms of bringing experience to it, having worked with him and knew that he was more than capable
0: to add experience to the squad. So let me ask you about some of those players that you've brought in there. There's obviously good players, but there's quite a few characters there. I mean, did you know what you were getting with Alan Rogers when he, he, he sounds quite lively as a, a character and Andy Johnson? They sound like a hell of a double axe. What were they like to, to manage?
1: Well, I, I didn't know the, how quite they were going to be. Uh, Andy Johnson certainly turned out to be a bit crazy than I thought he was. Uh, <laughs> but I was I was well aware that he was a character and he was lively and uh, he was full of confidence. Uh, he, he, he wanted to come to uh, to Nottingham Forest. He could have gone to Crystal Palace, Steve Copple because, as I said, Andy Johnson was on my watch at Crystal Palace. And obviously, they decided, and Ron knows, that they thought that uh, uh, with Crystal Palace getting promoted at that end of you know, that season. Um, obviously, I was looking upon, well, I should have stayed and got promoted with Crystal Palace, but that wasn't the case. <laughs> but Andy decided to come to us because he felt that Forest was the right club for him. So, you know, that he could have gone to the Premier League straight away, but he felt that he could add to it. And uh, Alan Rogers, again, funny enough, was, had been tipped off to me when I was at Palace uh, by Steve Copple because his uh, father was a Tranmere Rovers fan who said that Alan Rodgers by, was by far... You know the best left back in that division as he was at that time. and so again, We used that, and Alan was clean. And, of course, they were lively lads. Uh, You know, I want characters. You want characters to be stand-up. Obviously, they were coming into a squad where there was quite a lot of experienced players, and there was no point in having any shrinking violence in that uh, team as such. Obviously, it was a bit more delicate with Thierry Bonalea and uh, John Helder coming in because they were coming from foreign countries where, obviously, the culture's a bit different, and usually these type of players are not quite as flamboyant as some of the English players as such. And, of course, we had Van Hoyt al- already, who was a different type of individual and very confident. Um, and, as I say, I felt that we had enough defensive work people to do a good job and midfield creativity as such. And also, we, we had a good firepower up front.
0: Yeah, I mean, how did you manage that dressing room then? Because you, you've been at Wimbledon with the kind of the spirit that had been there, you know, the reputation rules and have that crazy gang spirit. What did you, uh, how did you handle that forest dressing room with with some lively characters and experienced players? What were you after there?
1: Well, I didn't obviously uh, handle it the way I'd go. Uh, Shelves United and, and uh, Wimbledon were totally different situations. These players were different. Uh, they were used to a different style of football and um, people would say I was going to long ball, well we didn't play long ball for us, anybody who saw us, we played total football, but you've got to pick the players that can play the way you want to get the best out of them and trying to play long ball with that team would have not been correct, they wouldn't have been used to it and they weren't geared for it uh, athletically, uh, they were a football inside and we added footballers to the team, so uh, we, we ended up, uh, you know, playing you know, good football that suited the team and scored goals and entertained in that season in you know reaching record points and goals and uh, etc
0: is that a gripe of yours the kind of the reputation of long ball that you seem to have because like you say that forest team didn't play long ball stuff they played horses for courses is that something that irks you a bit as a manager then not really, no you 're lumbered, but, it,
1: but what I did was at Wimbledon was a miracle it 's one of the best soccer stories in the history of the game that what was achieved at Wimbledon, what they did, um, you know, so what we did was correct. it was the people, other people decided that this was the wrong way to play, and they didn 't like it because it 's hard to play against long ball it 's very physical, very demanding, and you have to be athletic And so certain players have, can do that and The Wimbledon team and Sheffield United. They covered the, the yardage that you needed, and they played to the, their strengths, and it always caused problems. So you you know if you're upsetting people and you're being successful, the reason they're trying to do it is decry you. of course, the media jump on the bandwagon and, and like to criticise it. In all the teams at Wimbledon, we always went out to win. We didn't play like passing the ball around at the back just for the sake of it. We wanted an end product, which was their scoring goals, and uh, and we were very good at it. And Sheffield United, the stats that Sheffield United. And, and Wimbledon on their set plays was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, but of course, people then suggested that the game's not all about set plays, it's like rugby. But of course, you, you criticise it. So, um, you know, if I'd have tried to play the Nottingham Forest way uh, with Wimbledon and Shelter United, I wouldn't have been in a job very long because it was totally different players to horses and courses. But of course, all that Wimbledon team all went to play for top. Premier League football not in the Premier League and in the First Division and all those Sheffield United players played for four or five years in the top division so they were all good footballers in a different way but it was getting the best out of them and uh, I was well aware of the way to get the best out of Nottingham Forest wasn't trying to play long ball and the same when I was manager of Barnsley. Totally different football. So that's what a coach is. You get the best out of the players. It's not what you want all the time. You know, you have to, uh,
0: you know, cut your cloth accordingly. Um, Last one on Rodgers and Johnson, because Forest fans have heard so much of them as some of their antics. Uh, Frank Clark was on here talking about Stan Collymore and he was a pain to manage. And he kind of let the players police the dressing room is that something you did as a manager as well? Or did, were you even mocking him with them at times? Well, I believe in being strict at the right times. So I can be very liberal, but the, the players
1: don't run the, the, the club. The manager manages, the directors direct, the players play. So we, we had a problem with Van Hooydhoek that he wanted to be chairman, director, uh, f- uh, director of football, uh, captain, and coach.
0: Yes, we'll come on to Van Hooydong in, in, in depth probably, I'm sure. If we go through the season a little bit, um, you got off to a flying start, which I assume obviously helps as a manager, and then you never really had any bad run at all on the way to promotion, did you? I think it was like three games was your longest winless run. It all Did it all go as well as it could possibly have done that season?
1: It could have been better There were, were games where I was really annoyed One was Bradford City at home When we drew two all And we'd pulverised them And we were 2-0 up And then gave two silly goals away You know, which If we'd have got two points from that game In the second half of the season We'd have been promoted a couple of weeks earlier So, uh, it, 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 yes, it went well, obviously Because the players gelled And they mixed And and uh, they were a good bunch I mean, you know I, I thought I enjoyed the players um, The only problem I had was Van Hooyd on He's a problem to everybody. We knew that when we signed him because Tommy Boyd had had problems with him at Celtic. And if you looked at Pierre's uh, uh, history, you
0: know that he was a, a problem player. Um, let's talk about Campbell and Van Hoydong then. Before we get on to the kind of the character aspects of them, what about them just as a football pair? Did they they must have gelled pretty well they seem to work well together
1: yeah well they, 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 they scored the goals uh, 53 goals right yes so you've got to say that's a, that's an excellent return uh, as I say Kevin Campbell was a player I rated very highly you know he was prepared to run in behind players whereas Van Hoydalk didn't but Van Hoydeck had some great skills and ability of taking up positions to score goals and, and he was superb at penalties and free kicks I would put him up there easily with Beckham in that respect because his, his ability to take penalties, I think, he, he's, I think he's only ever missed one penalty and uh, one of the amazing parts, uh, well, I remember going to the uh, 98 uh, World Cup and uh, he didn't take penalties when Holland were in a penalty shootout, he, he wasn't on the pitch as such. You know, and uh, I'd, I'd have backed him against anybody. And he scored some, some great goals from free kicks. But, of course, what we analysed, Kevin ended up with 23 goals. But Kevin was brought down about six times from penalties and six times from free kicks, which Van Hoydorn converted. So um, Kevin, did, you know, got the positions to get the penalties and everything else. But so it was ideal that we had a set-piece specialist in that respect um, with Kevin creating the opportunities, which was the, the case because Van Hoeydonk really didn't get brought down for a penalty um,
0: or, or any of those situations. Yeah, from what you're saying there, I mean, like Campbell, I think he's got the rec- he's the record English goal scorer without playing for England in the Premier League. I think so. Uh, would you actually say, in your opinion, Campbell was perhaps the better player, given his all round contribution?
1: Yeah, at the end of the season, when we had the situation, we would got promoted and I thought we was going to move on and buy players. Um, uh, we had a problem. And uh, against my wishes, uh, Kevin Campbell was uh, sold. I'd have kept Kevin Campbell and sold Van Hooydum because Kevin Campbell was more valuable to the team than Pierre was. Um, And Pierre And he was less of a problem He was a You know Great fella He he combined well And uh, As I say He he did a great job I wanted to keep Kevin Campbell I actually signed and agreed a contract with Kevin Campbell before I went off on holiday and missed the first weeks of training because I'd spent all the summer trying to manipulate, but the club wanted money and I still, to this day, I was sold down the river uh, by the directors of the club selling Kevin Campbell uh, and not getting him to sign the contract, which he was meant to do the day after I went on holiday and the excuses were used to to make out that the contract wasn't quite ready. And then Kevin through his agent, found out that the Turkish club was prepared to pay Kevin net what he was going to get gross from us. So all of a sudden, Kevin Campbell could receive all of a sudden another 40% increase in his contract and obviously wanted
0: to go to Turkey. So that was a great disappointment. And then you had the whole Van Hooydonk strike situation. I mean, how do you look back on that at the time? And do you think you would have done anything differently now, you know, with 20 years in hindsight, well, the, would you the
1: problem was, uh, as I say, Van Hooydonk thought he was uh, better than he was, and uh, he was in the Dutch side that played in that uh, 98 uh, uh, finals. But of course, it was uh, then that the de Boer brothers decided to go on strike at Barcelona, it became uh, sort of the in vogue things for players to go on strike, so he decided to go on strike. Now, he was he, one of his arguments was that. You know, selling Kevin Campbell, he, 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 he was against you, of course. I was against it. And, uh, he, you know, he felt that the side needed improving. And I was well aware of that as well because when we came up, it doesn't sound a lot, I was promised that originally if we got up, we'd have £8 million to spend on players. Well, then the reality is that the club needed over £3 million because the share issue, et cetera, things had gone wrong. So that was available. And and obviously Kevin Campbell, I first found, was my first interference from uh, board level with Irving Scholar, who preferred... Uh, pierre van hoyden to kevin campbell so he wanted to get rid of kevin campbell we actually wanted to get rid of kevin campbell when when i was uh, made manager but i wasn't having it because i knew what kevin campbell uh, could do for us so uh, we it was a problem again with regards to pierre you know for me to uh, for a footballer to go on strike is absolutely despicable to actually do that, to not care about the team. I wanted the team to be improved, et cetera, but, of course, that wasn't the case. And we had another problem where Pierre wanted Wim Jonk, another Dutch international, to sign for us. And I didn't want him in midfield. Uh, he wasn't athletic enough for what I wanted. And he went to Sheffield Wednesday instead. And, and, and I, I was proven out that he was unsuccessful at Sheffield Wednesday. He was nowhere near the success that they wanted. So, we really, as I said, it was none of them. Pierre's business, who he wanted to sign. That was down to us. But unfortunately, we wasn't in a position to sign
0: players. What was the relationship like with Irving Scholar then? I mean, I've had other managers on here before and they've all had rocky relationships with the board eventually. Was yours kind of difficult with him throughout or did it deteriorate over time?
1: Well, Irving, I, I didn't mind Irving as a, as an individual. Irving's a football man. He was at Tottenham. Uh, but Irving liked to interfere. Irving thought he was the manager and he's got a view on football and he's quite hard working that he's there. So, you know, I wasn't at all happy when he rung me in America on holiday to tell me that Kevin Campbell were, wanted to move to Trap and He gives, gives a different story to it. But Kevin Campbell rung me and put me actually right in the picture that he went to on the Monday as he was meant to, it took about four days of excuses that the contract wasn't ready or there was this hadn't happened, etc. And the same was Scott Gemmel at the same time. So it was a problem. So realise... The first time uh, in my managerial career that I had people trying to tell me what to do. As a manager, you're involved to to run the team and manage the team. If you do well, you take the plaudits. If you don't, then you know you can get the sack. Because in this day and age now, most of the owners want a recruitment or a head coach so that they can tell the uh, manager or the coach who they're signing. Which, you know, is not my view of a manager. It's what's the point in somebody... Telling you who to sign when you don't want to because you, the job as a manager is to know where the players are, know what players you want, and do the scouting and go out and do it. Because a lot of the managers and coaches don't ever go out scouting and managing, they just watch videos which are completely inconclusive. In that, you want to watch what a player's doing when the ball's down the other end of the park or somewhere else. Uh, what is he doing? Is he tracking back? Is he tracking players? Is he working hard as such? So when you actually go and see, you see a totally different picture to what you see on video.
0: So how hard was it building a squad after promotion then, Dave? Because you signed players like Dougie Friedman and Neil Shipley, who were decent pros, I'm sure. I mean, Shipley didn't work out at all, but... Well,
1: we didn't have have money, did we? We lost Colin Cooper for two and a quarter million pounds to... uh, and Middlesbrough as well. So we had a problem. John Hilton was going through a difficult spell. It was difficult. We, 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 I've lost Campbell and uh, Pierre van Hoedon up front, all of a sudden, who we haven't got no strikers. And so it's, it's difficult with very little money. I, I managed to sell uh, Ian Moore uh, to Stockport, And with that money, I was able to get hold of Dougie Friedman, who was at Wolves, who I knew was a decent player. Uh, but his time at Forest was a little bit difficult. And Neil Shipley, Neil did a great job for me. I signed him for a million pounds at uh, Crystal Palace. He ended up leading goal scorer. He had a, a, had a real terrific time. I knew Neil wasn't as good as Campbell or or, or, or Van Hoydel, but the choice is available with the money I had. And we got Shipley for 700,000 quid. Now, you know, you were not going to get Many other Premier League clubs doing that Palace have been relegated And Neil wanted to come And then again, I proved my point I went to manage Barnsley And Shipley was an absolute You know, well, got him from Forest For about 500,000 And uh, Shipley did brilliant at Barnsley Unfortunately, he had a nightmare at Forest He just didn't work out And of course, you know, people are comparing them to With Campbell and uh, Van Oudel Well, you know it's, 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 it's impossible, you know, in terms that, of, of course, Campbell and Van Hoydhunk are better than those two players.
0: Another player you got in was Jean-Claude Darshfield. What was it like with him? Because he had such a terrible tragedy in his personal life. His wife and children had died. Um, what, that, was that a big challenge to manage a player like that in this situation?
1: Yeah, I took a chance with Darshfield. I didn't know enough. I knew he was quick. I knew he could score a goal. And the early games very promising the arsenal etc etc unfortunately he's uh, he blew up he soon come he didn't like training he was lazy and and his performances deteriorated. He was more interested in the girls in Nottingham and flying around in in flash cars and having a good time rather than being a professional. So uh, he turned out to be a waste of time. And, uh, again, uh, uh, reiterating to me to not take any notice of the directors who were doing the Scholar was keen on D'Archeville coming, the agents were all this, that and the other, and I took a chance, and uh, basically he he proved to be a
0: damn squib. You actually started the season you know, pretty well, didn't you? It, it was it was an uphill task, but were you pretty happy with how you started?
1: Uh, well, we should have got a point at Arsenal. D'Archeville killed Martin Keown with his there and, and and that performance, and then we were done uh, with a free kick in the last minute with an absolutely, you know, reasonable challenge by. Uh, uh, the tank or uh, as such, and on the right, and they score from the free kick, which meant it was three, two, three, two instead of two, two. So, there was a point lost, yes. And you're right, we the players worked hard and, and we managed to get a few results together. But I was well aware that we were well short sure, um, of being Premier League, we were we weren't as good in terms of, of players. Jeff Thomas was struggling more with an injury at that particular time. And one or two other players weren't playing to their potential. Of course, there was people, experienced people like Stoney around and, and Woney and Scott Gemmell and Stevie Chettle who were around and Mark Crossley are seeing and thinking, well, we're a weaker team than we were before. So that get, makes it a little bit despondent and, uh, you know, it can easily come in for players to do it. And then when the results start to go against you,
0: obviously it's very hard for the players to motivate themselves. Do you think, you say that, you think the players realised they were coming up short of, of quality and yourself then? Was that the general, did you, you well, knew that at the time?
1: Well, I think the fans knew that. Anybody who was watching would have thought, well, this team ain't as good as the one we had last year. You know, the problem was the share share issue that had gone on the lane market and the, it hadn't gone as well as the people thought it was. And, you know, we'd, we'd sold players for, you know, six million odd quid and, and spent about two and a half million. So, you know, you, you come into Premier League, it's a you know, and you've got player you know, other clubs spending a bundle on players, you know that they've got the quality. We need you know, if we'd have kept, kept the side within range, then we would have had a chance to stand up and then been able to add to the right areas. You know, as I say, all of a sudden, when I was told if we got promoted there, eight million, well, all of a sudden, that eight million is turned into a three million deficit, you know. And, and the worst thing we should have done is is that we should have show, sold Pierre. And in, in terms of there, you know, I wasn't having him. And, but what if I look back now, um, it got personal because I just lost respect for him. And I know a lot of the players did. All right, some of them didn't say it, some did, et cetera. And um, if we'd have got Pierre back at the start of the season, we should have gone over. And the problem was Van Hoyden was, uh, sorry, uh, Scholar was very close to... Wim Janssen, who was um, Pierre's agent, and um, uh, Pierre, and he was speaking to them, which he shouldn't have been to be there. But what we should have done, and I should have done, and Scholar, we should have gone to Holland and we should have said to uh, Pierre, come back and we'll sell you straight away. Because there were clubs interested at that time. Leeds were very interested at six or seven million pounds. Now, if we could have sold him to so six or seven million quid and the club had given me eight million, as they promised, we'd have had 15 million. So we'd have had a totally different Forest team from what actually was the reality. And, of course, eventually... You know, the, I was I was under pressure. I wasn't having it, and the prep, the board were then seeing that their so-called investment Van Hoeydonk was going down. It wasn't suiting that uh, he was he was stuck in Holland, and so yeah, I was then put under pressure to say, "Look, bring him back." And uh, we're selling We brought him back uh, uh, We did have an offer I think from Leeds for five million uh, Which was less than the six or seven That was talked about But that was turned down Because the board thought they'd get more Well the reality was Pierre didn't play well Didn't score goals And uh, gradually his value went down And hence he went to Vitesse Arnhem For three and a half million At the end of the season So uh,
0: a complete uh, mess up So when he came back then, I mean, I guess you, like you said there, you thought he was going to be sold to Leeds for five million. I mean, how was it having him around the squad with a struggling team? I mean, uh, he's a good player, but did it it make it even worse after November when he came back? Well, there was an
1: atmosphere, you know, I mean, there were players that were unhappy uh, about the situation. I was unhappy about the situation Um, uh, and uh, I felt I'd lost a battle and I didn't get the support when I needed it, really. Uh, I had a lot of people who, and managers who run me and said, uh, Harry, you, you've done right, but, uh, you, again, you end up because the money men decide what happens. Uh, they, they run the club, and you have to go along with that. If it's jeopardising the club financially, I can't expect to overrule that situation. Uh, and uh, it, it ended up a mess, really, you know, what looked a good promotion, looked like we could go on and consolidate in the uh, the Premier League, build up and build a side that could challenge for uh, the top six at some time in the future. No, I wasn't suggesting that I was going to take Forrest into the top six in the next couple of years. I felt comfortable there, but I felt if we got it right and we got the right young players and we could recruit well, then we could achieve anything because I'd done it with Wimbledon. I'd got Wimbledon to the top six. I'd got Sheffield United always, who were a club who was selling players any rate, you know, always to halfway in the league. And I'd have settled with that with Forrest. And, you know, hopefully then we'd have had one or two youngsters that would come through the youth uh, at that time uh, in the future. And also the recruitment could be involved with getting good athletic technical players.
0: So by the time you left the club around the January of 99, I mean, do you think there was a manager in the world who could have kept that team up or was it just rotten to the core and had to go down really? Well, it's easy for me to say Ron
1: Atkinson failed, didn't he miserably? Uh, you know, I don't think any manager would have done because I think the players were shot. No, no, I'm not making an excuse for the players, but it, it must have been very difficult for them when they, after the effort they had put to get promoted, to, to get up and then see the club, the way it was really um so i i i don't think any manager but of course you can't you know you never know you know things happen but they went for Ron. they thought Ron would do it and uh, it it
0: failed when you left um were you angry was it almost a relief because like you say there was no way you're going to keep that team up what were your emotions
1: Well, I knew knew who would take the the, uh, responsibility. With Van Hoyt coming back, you know, uh, he scored a goal, but, you know, something congratulated him and everything else. Um, And there was an atmosphere. And Van Hoyt had disregard for me. He didn't respect me. He thought I was a long ball manager and all the rubbish that goes with it. But, you know, the problem is if you start listening to the players, then you've got a major problem. But Forrest, they did listen to Pierre and uh, obviously that affects, so once I said to my wife when Van didn't come
0: back, I said, it's not if, it's when I get the sack now. I take it you, I mean, I think you obviously haven't buried the hatchet with Pierre. Do you think there's any scenario where you and him could make amends, or is it, is Are it? Are you joking? joking? <laughs> no, I wouldn't tolerate him under. You know, I've got, I've, I've got no time
1: for him, you know, um, and he's got no time for me, you know, and, um, you know, I, I mean, when I knew what he was like. Um, you know, Bobby Houghton who worked with me, he said he'd never dealt with a more difficult or irritable individual in training Pierre moaned about everything the grass was too long the grass was too low it was too cold it was too hot the balls were too soft the balls were too hard and that so I mean sometimes I used to send him off with Mickey Adams because we wanted to do work on the teams I'd send him off with Mickey Adams and he could practice free kicks and and that which is fair enough it was better because otherwise he was uh, just being a,
0: a pain up the arse really how did you look back on your time with Forest overall then, Dave? What, How would you summarise it 20-odd years on?
1: Well, I, I obviously enjoyed it. The, the year of promotion was tremendous. It was full of emotions. We, I mean, we got it on the last home game of the season. We had 90, whatever, two points, and we still won promoting, which was ridiculous. But it was a real good, and, you know, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It's a, a good club good training ground at that time and even better when we built we we built Wilford, which was my I instigated that and said if you want a, a you know a good academy, you've got to buy that ground. And they must spent money on that. So you know that was a right decision. But you know, no, it was it was a good year and I was looking forward to it. And you know, and to get promotion was a great relief and everything else, because I was under promisher Pressure to get promotion. You know, it wasn't a matter of we can, you know, have one season in the championship. Basically, they wanted it straight away. So that's a hell of a difference to staying in the Premier League. Because when things turn sour and it becomes difficult, it was disappointed. Really, with hindsight, I should have told them when they were sold Campbell to stick their job and uh, go and manage somewhere
0: else where you get respect. Do you feel vindicated then that you were right all along, you know, the way they ran the club? Look at them now. They're, they're, yeah, they've only made the class a couple well, of times. I mean that that era where they went on the aim
1: market and all that, we all looked great and everything else, and they made money available when I came there at that time to buy uh Rogers and uh Johnson uh, and that, to, so they made money available for that and to bring people in, course, it went downhill. You know, when you've got businessmen who are concerned with wanting to increase the share price and all this, that and the other, and it don't happen, and all of a sudden, they're businessmen at the end of the day. They're not real football people. They're in it to make money, and that's the case. You know, uh, you know I laugh now. People talk about the owners of these football clubs. They're businessmen. They're, not, they're in here because the the clubs are worth billions of pounds to them. You know, they're not going to just have any Tom, Dick and Harry on the board to tell them
0: what to do. And that doesn't happen with businessmen. Yeah. Who were some of the best players you worked with, darling? You took quite a few to Barnsley with you. Who were the players you took? A, you have a lot of respect for. Who you worked with at Forest? Well, I, 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 I had a lot, all the respect. The only
1: one I didn't at the end, and I mean, Pierre was, you know, just a nuisance all the time, and everything else. Um, I mean, he told me the story that when he was at Celtic, that uh, Tommy Boyd, the coach, he suggested he goes to Holland and look, watches the Dutch coaches because you're useless. So, I suggest you go and improve your techniques there. So, that tells you something about him. Tommy Boyd was a, a decent coach and a decent manager. So, you, you when you've got somebody is like that, you know that the eggshell life is is there. Really, you know, we should have sold Pierre because he'd done his bit for us. He'd got us promoted. He was going to be a nuisance in the Premier League. I mean, the, year, the, the games he played when he joined us in March, I think he scored about one goal in about 14. So he didn't show that he was a prolific goal scorer. The thing with Pierre, he needs people to make chances for him. He can't make them himself. And he's not the most... Uh, willing person that wants to run around to pressurising people, Uh, you know, that's not in his game, his game's all about the glory
0: Um, What about the likes of Gemmell and Wone, uh, you took Chets with you to Barnsley as well. I mean, were they a very yeah,
1: underrated
0: Yeah, I, I took
1: Chets and, and Woney, you know, uh, yeah, they were good players. They were good good lads, you know. Steve Chettle was no problem to manage. nor Woney Wone was, we called him Woney Woney, but it, you know, to be fair, if he'd have actually run about, he would have been a one top player. He was a top player anyway, in the way, but uh, you know, but they, they were good. Like, you know, Thierry Bonalla, you know, Johnson and Rogers got on well with Stoney, he was a decent bloke. You know, Kevin Campbell was uh, Chris Bart Williams, they, they were all good people, they were good football people. You know, I've got no complaints about them. It was just we had the one player who, who I really blame for the demise of Forrest at that time, and they still never recover from it. Of course, but I can't bl- blame Pierre for what happened after that because other chairmen come in, other managers come in, they've spent money and they still can't get out and they actually went to the third division. So, I mean, really, you know, it's been 21 years of, you know, sorrow, really. You can't say that Forrest, because of what Clough did... Is a first a Premier League club, and it should be. No club can say that situation because we know that if you slip away, you see clubs like Sheffield Wednesday now in League One, Sheffield United up and down, and various clubs like that. Crystal Palace used to be like that. So you know, again, it, the, the, the people that have run the club, or the, or, or, you know, a combination of the boards and
0: directors, and also the managers haven't been able to produce. Um, listeners would be interested to know what you're up to these days Dave are you still involved in the game uh, watching the odd bit of scouting or anything like that for people no no no, that? no no no
1: no no. No, I could have scouted for people but I'm a manager not a scout I did scout for, uh, for Alec Ferguson and Manchester United when I left Forest he just rang me up and said look you know have a rest Come and do a bit of scouting for us in the next uh, period, and I enjoyed that I'm going abroad. I'll tell you a story on that one. I I, I went to Bordeaux to watch a game for Manchester United, and I'd been to Bordeaux with Nottingham Forest.
0: Uh, when I went with Manchester United, I got better treated than I did when I was manager of Forest. <laughs> Do you miss it? Do you miss management the day to day? It sounds like you have a lot of stuff to deal with, owners. But being in the yeah, desk I, I room, did.
1: But of course, now come yeah, of course you. I missed it. I mean, you know, the the, the way where you're as a manager, you know, the thing you miss is the interaction with the players, working with the players, match days. Uh, you know, not the hour or so before the game, the actual game, the elation, the disappointment, the whole thing of it. You know, a lot of the other things you have to do, the press, you've got to do it. You don't necessarily enjoy it, but you've got to do it. And so you do it the best of your ability. And that, you know, the, the days, there's, you know, when you've had a great performance and you win a game, you know, and the fans are happy, you know, you feel euphoric about it as well. Because when you lose, you can go and be very miserable, and unfortunately, they lose it. The losses uh, affect you more than the winning.
0: What are your memories of Forest fans? Then I know you had the highs and the lows, at one extreme or the other. I mean, what 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 would you say about Forest fans? Yeah, the Forest fans. I wasn't sure that they really appreciated me. You know, I think there was
1: comments. Um, I remember Brian Clough. You know, being a little bit behind the scenes. Oh, is this the manager that? Plays with the ball in the air and things like that, and I had a feeling perhaps I was being a bit uh, negative myself um, with the Forest fans. Uh, and of course, they were used to a certain amount. But since uh, leaving and coming back, I found there was more um, more feeling for me than there was, you know. So, you know, when I've ever gone back, I've always been made very, very welcome by the Forest fans. I've got to say, I really wanted Forest to be probably my last job. You know, I fancied thinking, you know, if I can do five or six years like or seven years I did at Sheffield United here and we can build a side, then, you know, I'll be delighted. So I was disappointed, but uh, uh, things turned pear shape, and what can you do about it? As I say, I was, you know, very disappointed to have to leave. But of course, I knew that the way it was, you know, it goes round and I knew that I would have to pay the price because they just want to change. They just think sometimes bringing a manager in can change it around. Well, the atmosphere wasn't conducive to that and we didn't have enough enough good enough players to do that.
0: Are you still watching lots of football today then? Are you still enjoying the game just as a fan almost?
1: I don't enjoy the football anywhere near as much as I used to. There's too much backwards, sideways passing. It's all based on possession going nowhere. You know, I was always brought up that uh, the idea is to score goals. If you score more goals than the opposition, you do that. When I had the Wimbledon and the Sheffield United teams, we weren't the best, but we never played negatively. When we went to Old Trafford, we went for it. We might lose... 4-1 4-1 to or something but then, you know, to, I've won at Old Trafford, I've won at Anfield, I've won uh, all these Chelsea and all those places by being positive you know, And again, my sides have had situations when we come to Forest, I mean my record against Forest was excellent with Wimbledon I, uh, I think I lost once, we then, you know beat them in the Cup, beat them in the League Cup, and it was always very good. We always fancied ourselves. We knew Forest were a good side, don't get me wrong, but we went for it. If we sat back, we did it. And we went to Wimbledon, we went to Old Trafford, Anfield, Tottenham, Chelsea, won there. We won by being straightforward. Again, with Sheffield United. So I've always wanted a positive side, and, you know, the Forest
0: side we had was a positive side because we scored all those goals. Mm. Do you think managers overcomplicate the game now, then? They just try and be too clever by half?
1: Well, overcomplicate. I just sometimes wonder whether they think about winning. I mean, I hear a lot of managers saying we play the right way. Well, what is the right way? You know, if you're losing and you're bottom of the league, you can't be playing the right way, can you? If you're at the top, you must be doing something right. So, you know, I think there's this stigma that... uh, you know, that's been brought in, that this DNA that you've got to roll the ball out of the back and you've got to start there. You know, there's more than one way to skin a cat and the the way it was, it went with those times, you know, you met different teams who played different, you know, and they all change it now. But there seems to be this uh, uh, incident that they talk about possession, which the media talk about. And I think I saw Carlo Ancelotti said, possession's never won anything.
0: Um, as we record this, we're right on the eve of the Euros. Can I trouble you for a prediction? This is going to come out after England's first game, so they might have lost and be right up against it. But can we trouble you for a prediction for the Euros? Well,
1: I, I've uh, I fancy Italy. I've uh, uh, I've had ai have bet because I'm not with a club. I've had a bet they get win it. I've had a bet they get to the final, or a bet to the semi final. I just think that. Uh, they may be in the right frame of mind that they're to do it. I think obviously you know it's easy to go for France because they've got some very good players in France as well, and I think England have got some very, very good players. You know, I think uh, in this day and age, to Mason Mount is and um, Foden are tremendous players. They're, you know, they're, they're they're top notch at an early age. You know, they're like Rooney at the age he was, and Bobby Cholton at the age he was, and everything else. And you know, I still think that Rhys James is, is got the potential to 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 do very very well. And um, so again, with the with this front players, Harry Kane is a top top player. Uh, And in my opinion, he should clear off from Tottenham and go and enjoy himself with one of the top clubs because Tottenham are not going to be a top club for 10
0: years till they get the debts paid off. So, uh, yeah, I think we've got some very good players. Well, it's been a great pleasure talking to you, Dave. Uh, Thanks very much for giving us so much of your time. Um, Thanks to everyone who listens along as normal. And we shall be back with another special uh, this time next week. Dave, uh, thank you very much and do look after yourself and hope you enjoy the Euros yeah cheers Matt thank you very much I should be watching the games hopefully I'll get
1: some entertainment or I might be grazing grazing on style arts (laughs)
0: excellent thanks very much everyone thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red a Nottingham Forest podcast if you enjoyed today's episode then please let us know we love hearing your feedback we'll be back soon with another episode thanks for listening